From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. In tiny San Francisco, Colorado, in the San Luis Valley, a community tries to save a crumbling meeting hall. The building has gone into such disrepair or disarray. I don't think people understood the significance of it. Even though it was the community's aunties and grandmas and mothers that belonged to it. The most endangered places list is out. We'll hear what landed on it, including a hotel in a Jefferson County ghost town. South Platte was a huge stop on the narrow gauge railroad. There was at one point the depot. There was a couple of cabins up there. And some really good news. A site listed years ago that's not only been saved, it's thriving. Yes, Colorado's oldest business, a market, has kept its doors open and plans to grow. You listen because you want to understand the issues that impact us all. Because of careful, fair, and thorough reporting, you know more about your state. Your financial support helps make that possible. Start giving at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. They are places at risk of disappearing, even though they mean a lot to people. So this time each year, a list comes out of Colorado's most endangered spots. And to tell us what's considered vulnerable in 2023 is Katie Peterson, who directs this program. Hi, Katie. Hi. Also with us, Juanita Martinez of San Francisco, Colorado, it's in the San Luis Valley, who is invested in one site in particular. Juanita, nice to see you. It's great to be here. Big picture, Katie, this year's theme is Closer to the Heart. How has that idea shaped the list? It really begins with community a grassroots movement, a preservation movement. Locally, people interested in saving a place. Absolutely. So you have like automatic buy-in. Yes. So really with, with the sites as well, the history begins with community. Katie, there are a number of adobe buildings on the endangered places list this time. I'd like to start with the Garcia School. Mm-hmm. This is in Costilla County. Why did it make the list? The Garcia School was built in 1912 and was is on the original site of Los Plaza de los Manzanares, which is supposedly the oldest community in Colorado. Wow. This building served as a library. It served as a school, a head start, a place for funerals, a place for communion. You name it, it was on that. Uh, the gathering space. Absolutely. Currently, the Centennial School District, uh, the only school district in Costilla County, currently owns that building before the school district consolidated in the late 60s with the site that they have today. But uh, what they want to do with it is create an internet center. So when COVID started, a lot of the students did not have access to internet in oh. their in their small rural communities, especially Garcia. The school received a multi-million dollar grant. And so with that, they are creating an internet hotspot access platform. And what makes this building, uh, besides the use that it may provide, uh, important? So it is constructed out of adobe, but it's unusual because the school actually has a hipped roof, which you don't really see in a lot of adobe style structures in the San Luis Valley. Yes. I don't know what that means. That is, a hipped roof is where all sides of the building is, uh, on a roof is sloped. Okay. With the territorial style adobe building, you don't really see that a lot. Is that building at risk structurally? Yes. So with adobe, adobe is, is dirt, straw and dirt. It's cracking, 
the foundation is crumbling and it's returning to the earth as adobe and dirt usually do. Mm-hmm. And the idea, I guess, is that no single small community has the resources alone to rescue these places. Mm-hmm. So you're elevating them. Yes. With the idea of supercharging these efforts. Absolutely. Okay, let's get to Juanita Martinez of San Francisco, Colorado, also in Castilla County, by the way. Juanita, you are working to save the Feminilas building in the village where you live, San Francisco, named, by the way, for the river that brings water to the area. Uh, before we talk about the building specifically, what, what does San Francisco mean to you? Ryan, San Francisco means to me, it's a sense of community. It's a very small village. Yeah, how many people? Oh, less than 100. Okay. Do you know them all, do you think? Uh, We know them all. (laughs) Yeah. It's the kind of village where you can't do something without everybody knowing. Uh When you have a problem, everybody's there to help. If you're rejoicing and having a good time, they'll drop by just to see what's happening. It's very, very tight-knit. How long have you been there? I've been there about 25 years, I would say. That might make you a a whippersnapper in terms of San Francisco history. Yes, because San Francisco, we have a very long history with a land grant. The villagers are heirs to a land grant that was given by the Mexican government to our communities. This is the notion of the border crossed us. We didn't cross the border. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah, And when... uh, Katie talked about the Plaza de los Manzanares. That's true. It was a fort at one time, and it's one of more original structures for Southern Colorado, for Colorado. Very generous of you to shout out another project. But tell us about the Feminilas building in San Francisco. we're very unique in that we have a building that was constructed by the women of our village. The women belong to the SPMDTU. It's a union, right? It's a men's union. Yeah. It's and this a, is sort of the auxiliary of that. Right. It's a mutual aid union. They have SPMDTUs all over northern New Mexico, southern Colorado, and even into Utah. And these men would join forces together to protect miners, workers. If they got sick or injured on the job, they'd step in and help. They mostly fought racism causes and loss of wages and that sort of thing. Now, that's Sociedad Protección Mutua de Trabajadores Unidos. Unidos. There you go. Okay, so that would be the uh, Society for the Mutual Protection of United Workers. Yes. Okay. And as the name of this building implies, Feminidas, Mm -hmm. the women had a role in it. I'm guessing that's the root of that word. Oh, yes. Auxiliaries were formed because, of course, women couldn't join the SPMDTU because it was a men's organization. And yet, but they yet, were so critical. Women, yeah, they're very critical. Anytime you have an organization, if you don't have women, you're in trouble. <laughs> because, because women tend to take care of things. They make sure your building's clean. They cook. They organize. They get functions together. They fundraise. They do so many things. And things all the time behind the curtain. Give me a picture of what the Feminilas building looks like, feels like, inside and out. Okay, the Feminilas building is a one-room structure. Also adobe, right? Also adobe. And it was built with materials that came from La Sierra, our land-grant mountain, the wood and timber. It is literally of the place. It is of the place. And not only that, 
it really signifies to me the leadership of women, women who figured, you know, why should we drive so far to go to San Luis to a meeting? Hmm. It's 10 miles from San Francisco. And these women figured, well, why don't we have our own place? And so they encouraged one another to do that. And so men stepped in as usual to help out. They're very cooperative. It's a cooperative community. And so they built this structure for the feminilas. What is it like inside? What it's it only like? a one-room structure. Yeah. It looks like a one-room schoolhouse. Mm-hmm. It has a bench, actually two benches that I remember, has a very little wood stove and one window and the entrance. And there's barely electricity. It's a one bulb. and a One bulb, one room. One room, uh-huh. one bulb. And I'm guessing, like many old buildings. I live in one that's not quite as old at 1930. They're a pain in the butt to keep up. Yes. I'm guessing that's a struggle. Yes, it is. And the problem was that the building has gone into such disrepair or disarray. It's because I don't think people understood the significance of it, even though it was the community's aunties and grandmas and mothers that belonged to it. But The stories I used to hear about that building, I used to say to myself, this building is significant because it was constructed with the emphasis of women. And we don't hear that. Back in the 20s, 30s, by the way, the Concilio is number six on the list. So if you have 100 auxiliaries, we're number six on that list. In terms of when they were formed. In terms of when it was built. Now, what do you hope the building can be? Oh, we have an exciting idea for our building. We have archives that are pertinent to that building. We're going to put them in there so that people who come by can see the records and the things that the Femenilas did. The context of that building. Yes. Uh Do you imagine people gathering there once again? Oh, yes. And we'll use that building also to conduct acequia meetings. We have an acequia that is... No, I don't know that word, Juanita. I'm sorry. The acequias are irrigation ditches. Yeah. And every community or every village of the Upper Culebra, they have a comisión or a commission uh, who conduct the caretaking of the ditch and telling people, the mayordomo or the ditch rider tells people when they can water, when they cannot water. This is the lifeline of a community. Oh, definitely. Uh-huh. And it's very cooperative and very democratic. You have to cooperate in order to get water. You wait your turn, (laughs) which is really hard for some folks. And And so these gatherings might happen in this building. Oh, they would. Uh They would happen there. I I love how old buildings smell often. Does it have a smell? It did, like uh, old dirt. Old dirt. Dirt. Which is what it is, right? It's It's all dirt. Mm -hmm. It is. What does it mean that the building has made this list? It means, for one thing, that we don't feel so isolated, that there are people out there who consider old things to be valuable. Mm. Also, it brings our community together, and we can actually uh, see a building that's part of the roots of our community, part of the heart of our community, which I like the theme, is the heart of a community. This building is the heart of our village. And I get all excited talking about it because uh, it's just wonderful to know that something that every member of the community remembers seeing it, 
remembers women going in and out of it, remember starting the fire to keep it warm. The women there used to bake a cake every time they had a meeting, Hmm. and they would charge the members a dime to get a slice of cake. And I've had women tell me that that was one of the most wonderful memory that their grandma or their mother would come home with a slice of cake in on a napkin and share it with the kids at home. Any of those recipes still around? I believe so. Oh, okay. I believe so. That's exciting. Katie, another addition to the list this year is the South Platte Hotel in Jefferson County, built in 1913. What can you tell us about it? So the original South Platte Hotel was actually a few hundred feet away. It was actually built in 1887. and uh, so Its roots go back even further. Even further, yes. And so unfortunately, in about 1912, there was an arsonist that came in and set the building on fire. The hotel did burn down and many people were wounded in the process. The owner actually built the new hotel a couple hundred yards away. My goodness. And this was 1913, and that's the building that still stands today. Uh, Abandoned, as I understand, for now, and left to the elements? Very much so. So as far as records show, the last tenant of the building was in 1942, when the tenant did sell the the property to Denver Water. Okay, Denver Water is the current owner of the property. And what does it look like and feel like, this uh, this hotel, South so Platte Hotel. the South Platte Hotel is the only remaining building left in the South Platte community. South Platte was a huge stop on the narrow gauge railroad. There was at one point the depot. There was a couple of cabins up there. The hotel served several purposes uh, just for people to stop on the railroad and, and stay for a couple of days. Would we think of South Platte as a ghost town today then? Absolutely. Aha. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And so this is uh, one of the phantoms in the ghost town. I yes. Guess. Mm-hmm. Or I guess uh, the only remaining phantom. Uh-huh. <laughs> the South Platte currently is boarded up. Um, it's been mothballed, which kind of prevents the deter- further deterioration of the building. Why don't we finish with some updates on sites from previous year's lists, Uh, a win and a loss. We'll go back to the San Luis Valley to Colorado's oldest business, the R&R Market, formerly listed, now called the San Luis People's Market. The owner has turned it into a healthy foods and fresh produce store. It had been owned by the same family since the 1850s. Uh, You consider this a success story, I guess. Absolutely. So with the old owners, they were ready to retire, and the future of the market was bleak. So with that, Dr. Devon Pena, who is the founder of the Asekia Institute, he has lived... Back to that word, Asekia. Asekia, yes. Um, So what the Asekia Institute is really all about is water democracy and resilient agriculture. Dr. Pena is from the San Luis Valley. He bought the R&R market changed the name to the San Luis People's Market, and uh, is really dedicated to providing healthy foods to the people of San Luis. Because prior, there were a lot of not-so-healthy foods that were Mm. available down in San Luis. Yeah, sort of a food desert kind of idea. Absolutely. Which, in a way, is so ironic, right? Because the San Luis Valley is so rich in agriculture. Yes. It's as if the cobbler's children have no shoes. Right, Yeah. Well, and, the, excuse me, I want to Yeah, go ahead, Juanita, by all means. I shop at that market oh, you do. every other every week, actually. What does it mean to week. you? God, it means everything. For one thing, in our community, that store didn't shut down. 
when you consider the villages around San Luis, yep. we have to travel an hour away to go to Alamosa to do grocery shopping. Having that market there providing fresh fruit, mind you, fruit, they've got a specialty butcher shop there now. They're teaching their workers how to be butchers. They're trained now. They're mm. training them. Also, there's going to have a delicatessen in it. And it's also going to have a meeting space for the community to have a place to come together to meet. Right now in San Luis, it's very hard to find spaces for community to come together and meet because there's a premium on space and they charge money. Hmm. So this is going to be free because it's a community market. And there's that theme again, community. Yes. What Do you remember the last vegetable or fruit you bought there? Oh, what was yeah. on your list? I bought some bell peppers, uh-huh. the red ones, which are very hard to get, by the way. <laughs> And uh, bananas. And bananas. Mm. Yes. All right. And so that that means a lot. And they're also creating, they used to have a hardware store. So now they're building that back up. Mm -hmm. The hardware store is going to be back in place. The community misses that a lot. Mm. Because you'd have to drive from San Luis about another 16 miles to Fort Garland to be able to buy nails and hammers and that sort of thing. No. So the it's a important center of commerce for our community. And training. I've, I've, that stood yes. out to me as you were saying it. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's a win from a previous endangered places list. Yes. I want to say that the Craig Depot is another story built in 1917. Uh, there were plans to relocate it. Those fell through. I do understand that, Katie, some things were saved from the Craig Depot. Yes. So uh, the Museum of Northwest Colorado director Dan Davidson actually did take a few items from the depot, a bench, uh, a destination sign, and a couple other things. But also he included some of the bones of the structure, which was actually made from Carnegie steel. And uh, so those are all located at the Museum of Northwest Colorado. Not uh, in the depot anymore because it's been raised. Right. And what is that, I don't know, a loss like that teach you or tell you, Katie? So a lesson learned from losing a listed site is just how early momentum and public awareness is really key in saving a place like this. When the building was demolished, there there weren't any news about it. Really what we're trying to do is just get the public involved. That's really where that community begins is that grassroots preservation movement. You can't care about it if you don't know about it. Absolutely. And I certainly care about some more places today, thanks to the both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. But I did want to say that the spaces that Katie's talking about, that if we use them, if the community uses them, and which in our community or Costilla County, we will use the building in Garcia. We have been using the building that is the market, the people's market. We will be using the building in San Francisco, the Femenilas building. The idea is not to put it up on a shelf and bottle it. The idea is to make it an active space. And just an active place where even the community could come in and touch it, bring their children and grandchildren to look at it, 
friends and relatives who drive through. It's just going to be an amazing contribution to our communities. Absolutely. And, you know, history is not just museums. History is, it's living. It is. You know, just driving by all the places that my great-great-grandparents or my great-great-great-grandparents did. Mm. You're right, absolutely right, Juanita. Touching and feeling and reliving your ancestors' past is is truly what what history is about. Well, and, and history like that means a lot to me in this sense. We're such a fast-paced society. Mm. We don't even take time to meet the neighbor or watch the person who walks the dog and talk to them. It's so impersonal. But when we visit spaces that are used, that gives us an opportunity to talk to one another to touch bases Mm -hmm. and realize that we have a shared history. Weave a little social fabric. Yeah. Yeah. We got to do that. Thank you so much for weaving with us. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Juanita Martinez of San Francisco in Southern Colorado's Castilla County and Katie Peterson of Colorado Preservation, Inc. The other additions to this year's Most Endangered Places list are the Farview Visitor Center in Mesa Verde National Park. And it's one of the first such visitor center ever built in 1967. Also, the Coke Homestead in Pitkin County from 1887. It was instrumental in the settlement of Aspen. Lots of photos at CPR.org. The newest podcast from Colorado Public Radio called Terra Firma brings you the sounds of nature with reflections from Colorado-born writer C. Marie Furman. The sounds in nature are like the voices of friends. I know when I hear the first robin every spring what that means. The sound of wind in trees, the bugle of elk. Those are the memories that become the soundtrack to our lives. Find Terra Firma wherever you get your podcasts. Supported by Credit Union of Colorado. Most Coloradans get their mail delivered six days a week with no real problems, but it's been a struggle in some communities. Now Congress is stepping in, as CPR's Caitlin Kim reports from Washington. Ryan Highland has been the Silver Thorn Town Manager since 2014. And if there is one top complaint he gets, it's the U.S. Postal Service. I hear about it every day for the last couple of weeks, which is um, more than I hear about any other issue. Residents not getting mail delivery, including tax documents, for weeks on end, or people not being able to pick up packages, including prescriptions. Right now it's at a severe crisis level, and so generally speaking what the community is experiencing is uh, their mail is in the post office. It's sitting there, but it is not accessible to anyone in the community. It's not just his Summit County town. Steamboat Springs, Twin Lakes, Colorado City, Crested Butte, Westcliff, and even Front Range communities like Castle Rock have experienced problems with the Postal Service. It's like a game of whack-a-mole. Service gets so bad in one place, local leaders and residents call their members of Congress, who write to the Postmaster General about the issue and get some type of fix, only to have another mail service problem pop up elsewhere. This has been a long-standing issue. That's Congressman Joe Neguse. He's one of several congressional lawmakers that are getting an uptick in complaints from constituents about this issue. He wrote the USPS district manager for Colorado and Wyoming, urging him to take steps to fix the problems. And it requires our ongoing attention. I do think it points to a larger management challenge within the USPS. Over the years, Neguse has been critical of the current Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy, including changes he instituted that many feared would lead to slower service. 
But the other main challenge he and other lawmakers acknowledge is recruiting and retaining a sufficient number of postal workers. James Boxrood is a regional spokesman with the Postal Service. It boils down to staffing. You know, we're short as much as half of our staffing up there. He says mountain communities in particular are really feeling the pressure right now. And part of that's because the cost of living is so high. Boxrood says after a call last week with local leaders in congressional offices, they're talking with towns on worker housing solutions. But in the short term, USPS is trying to right the ship another way, including borrowing employees from other offices that are fully staffed. We usually send about two extra people to each one of these difficult offices, you know, during the week. And then we get a few extra people on the weekend that go up there and help. It hasn't been enough. So what we just did this week was we reached out to our surrounding states of Colorado uh, for our postal employees saying, hey, would you like to go to Colorado ski country and work? A band-aid until they can hire permanent staff. Despite the Postal Service's motto about rain, snow, and dark of night, the sheer amount of snow the mountains have gotten this winter has made delivery difficult. And the Postal Service has also seen a large increase in the number of packages it has to deliver. The volume of December holiday rush is now seen year-round. We apologize to our customers. We are working to go ahead and get this straightened out. Boxrood notes the USPS is also investing in infrastructure and technology, in part through the Postal Reform Act passed by Congress last year. Representative Nagus had hoped it would have improved the situation by now. There were specific uh, funding allocations in that bill that should resolve some of the workforce challenges that the USPS is experiencing, but it's not happening on a fast enough timetable. Silverthorne Town Manager Hyland praises the efforts of Colorado's congressional members, who he says are struggling to get answers and move the dial. But the frustration is building on the ground. I can tell you that there are mountain communities are talking about legal action. You know, we're at a point where um, what else can you do? We're trying to do everything that we can. He didn't elaborate further, only saying the mountain communities are talking over options. Keystone resident Eric Schwartz is just fed up. He has a post office box in Dillon. His mother sends holiday cookies every year, and it took almost two hours in line at the post office to get the package. What I would like to see is just a, a the USPS to operate normally. Um, I understand there's challenges in the mountains, but... We just want to take the the frustration out of that process. It shouldn't be a frustrating process. You should be able to go get your mail and not have to plan hours out every day to do so. Until then, he's telling his mom not to send any more packages to his post office box. In Washington, D.C., I'm Caitlin Kim, CPR News. And in Denver, I'm Ryan Warner with thanks to Carl Bielek. This is listener-supported Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC.